0: A FOCUSED SUMMARY OF WALTON IN CONTINUATION In his letter, Walton asks his sister Margaret whether Frankenstein's tale has not congealed her blood with horror, like it has his. He describes to her how, as Frankenstein told it, he would sometimes hesitate, seized with agony and anguish, sometimes relate the most horrible incidents with a tranquil tone— and sometimes burst forth like a volcano, and shriek out curses on his persecutor. Walton says he trusts in its truth, first because of the sincere manner with which it was told, and second because it is confirmed by letters of Felix and Safie, and by his own glimpse of the monster. Frankenstein had reviewed Walton's notes on his story, and corrected and augmented them where necessary. Walton longed to know the secrets of the monster's creation, but on that point, Frankenstein was unyielding. Walton shares how moved he has been by his guest's tale, and how he longs to counsel him, but sees he is irredeemably miserable and destitute. His shattered spirit finds joy only in the expectation of the peace to come in death, and in the converse with his friends in dreams. When their conversations venture beyond the subject of Frankenstein's misfortunes, Walton finds him to possess unbounded knowledge and forcible eloquence, and he imagines what a glorious creature he must have been in the days of his prosperity. Frankenstein explained to him that in his youth he believed himself fitted for illustrious achievement and ranked himself above the common herd. But now— that thought only plunged him in the dust. He had trod heaven in his thoughts, and then he found himself sunk and chained in an eternal hell. Walton laments to his sister that just when he finds such an admirable being, the sort of friend who would sympathize with and love him, he must lose him. Frankenstein told him that though he appreciates Walton's kind intentions— no one can take the place of Clerval or Elizabeth, since bonds formed in childhood can never be eradicated. All that remained for him in life was to pursue and destroy the being he had given existence. A week later, Walton writes again, this time to say that he has found himself encompassed by peril and is unsure he will ever again see England. They are trapped among mountains of ice. Only Frankenstein is able to rouse their energies and renew their resolutions, but those feelings are transitory, and Walton fears a mutiny. A few days later, he writes again to describe a scene of uncommon interest. They were still surrounded by ice, some of the crew had succumbed to death, and Frankenstein daily declined in health. One of the crew appeared to demand that if they were ever freed from danger, they would immediately direct their course southward. Frankenstein then roused himself and made a speech so lofty and heroic that the men were moved and unable to reply. Walton asked them to retire and reflect, hoping their courage would return. After a few days more, Walton wrote to say he was returning to England having lost his hopes of glory and his friend. When the ice cleared and a passage south became free, Walton resolved that he could not lead them unwillingly to danger. Hearing this, Frankenstein tried to rouse himself from bed, determined to persist in his quest for vengeance. But he fell back and fainted, and the doctor who attended to him said he only had hours to live. As Walton sat at his bedside, Frankenstein reflected on his past conduct and found himself blameless. He did right in refusing to create a companion for the malicious creature. And though at the time he was driven by selfish and vicious motives, he believes he was also right to ask Walton to undertake his unfinished work of revenge. He leaves it to Walton to decide what he will do. Frankenstein found joy in the expectation of release from his suffering, and he offered Walton parting counsel to avoid even seemingly innocent ambition. Then he sank into silence, and half an hour later closed his eyes forever. Walton's writing is interrupted by sounds that he leaves to examine. Then he returns to describe the final, wonderful catastrophe— He entered the cabin where lay the remains of Frankenstein to find a gigantic creature with a face of appalling hideousness looming over him. Hearing Walton's approach, the creature leapt toward the window, but Walton called on him to stay. Pointing at the corpse and appearing consumed by rage, the monster called Frankenstein the last of his victims and the consummation of his crimes but cried out in self-reproachful regret that he could not beg Frankenstein for forgiveness. Walton's first impulse had been to fulfill his friend's dying request, but with these words he found himself suspended in curiosity and compassion. Walton told him his remorse was superfluous now that Frankenstein was dead— But the monster replied that through all his crimes, he has suffered agony and remorse. His heart had been fashioned for love and sympathy, and he was tortured by the violence of the change. After the murder of Clerval, he felt pity for Frankenstein and abhorred himself. But when he discovered that Frankenstein still hoped for happiness, he became again filled with an insatiable thirst for revenge. He cast off all feeling, and evil became his good. Walton again found himself touched by the expression of the monster's misery, but recalling Frankenstein's warning, he recovered himself and proclaimed him a hypocritical fiend, and accused him of regretting only that his victim was no longer in his power. The monster denied it, but said he did not seek understanding or fellow-feeling. He had long resigned himself to a world that offered him no sympathy. He was a fallen angel, but even the devil had friends in his desolation. He was alone. All his life he ardently craved love and fellowship, and it was always denied him, by Frankenstein, by Felix, by the Rustic whose child he saved, by all humankind he is nothing more than a miserable abortion to be spurned at, kicked, and trampled on. In destroying Frankenstein's hopes, he did not satisfy his desires. Walton, he said, did not abhor him as much as he abhorred himself, and what must be done would be done at his own hands. He avowed he would quit the ship, go to the northernmost extremity of the globe, build a funeral pile, and consume his miserable frame to ashes. Once he would have wept to die, but it had now become his only consolation. He says farewell to Walton and to Frankenstein, declaring that they could have had no greater vengeance than his miserable life, and the sting of remorse would pursue him until the death which was soon to come. He would ascend his funeral pile exult in the torture of the flames. His ashes would be swept away by the winds, and his spirit would sleep in peace. He sprang from the cabin window, and his ice raft was borne away by the waves, and lost in darkness.